Well, hello, friends. All right, let's do it. Today's guest is an amazing guest, one of my new friends, Amy Yip, who was a former uh, Google employee and was living the time of her life as a, a nice Google uh, employee making tons of money who decided to quit her job, oh yeah, and move to Ghana in the midst of COVID and became this mental and physical wellness uh, being to help people. Her goal and mission was to help people and to give back. We're going to talk about you know a bunch of things about mental health, mental awareness, um, Asian hate, and a bunch of really cool stuff. This is going to be a deep conversation. Yeah, so sit back and enjoy it. And we're going to talk about her baby and her husband and things like that. So let's do it. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and more. I do it for you. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces. Check it out. Let's go. Woo. All right, all right, all right. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Kids in the Room podcast. Today, we've got Amy Yip on the show. Amy, Amy, Amy. So tell us, tell, tell us, you know, welcome on the show and uh, tell us, tell, tell the audience a, a little bit about you and, and, and yeah. Uh, so I'm Amy Yip. Thank you for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. I am a life transformation and mental fitness coach. I just returned back to the U.S. about six weeks ago from having been gone for a year and a half. I was stuck in Ghana for seven months because of COVID. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting adventure over the last year and a half. <laughs> wow. Stuck because of COVID. So how did you get in Ghana? And uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think you also are, were at Google previously and some other companies. Like, how do we get here? Yes. <laughs> so January 2020, I was living in New York. I was working at Google and my husband and I decided to quit our corporate jobs. We sold all our belongings and we took a one-way flight out to Ghana. And our plan was we were uh, going to Ghana to volunteer at a breast cancer nonprofit. And we had this dream of traveling the world, living nomadically, and just exploring. We left right before COVID got bad. And so when we got to Ghana, that was when everything kind of imploded in the world and the borders of Ghana shut down. So couldn't leave, couldn't enter. And so our original plan was we would only stay there until May, but we got stuck until I think it was September of 2020. Wow. And when borders reopened, um, the U.S. was going through elections. There was no vaccine. The world was in chaos. All we had was a backpack on our back. So we're like, you know what? Let's just live and work wherever we can. Uh, but... <laughs> But at the time, the U.S. passport was not worth very much. So there was a very short list of countries allowing us in. So we kind of pick and chose from that list. We actually bought like five different flights because flights were constantly being canceled. And we're like, let's see which one doesn't get canceled. And that's where we're going to go. So we ended up in Serbia first. Wow. You ended up in Serbia. So wait a minute. What do you mean mm -hmm. that the passport wasn't good anymore going to different countries? What, what's going on with that? American? What? because <laughs> of covid and everything that was happening in the u.s with covid all the countries were banning uh anyone with u.s passports so you couldn't get into europe you couldn't get into a lot of asia there were a lot of countries that just weren't allowing americans in wait what they weren't letting americans in i mean like what mm -hmm. was the problem like what was that what was what was the uh what was the issue that you that you felt 
it was the COVID situation in the U.S. Because back in September of 20, so a year ago, right, like that was when the world was kind of looking at the U.S. And they're like, WTF, what is going on over there? Because we just lost control and everything, like we were the country that everyone expected to be doing well with COVID and being able to handle it. And we were not. We were, the cases were rising. So everyone around the world, they closed off to American citizens. So our passport was no good to get anywhere. Wow. So pretty much what happened was when you were overseas, um, the way that the expectations of a lot of other countries was that America was supposed to, you know, you know, bypass this situation and be a champion with the COVID and not have it affect Uh us so massively. So since it did, then there was this awkward situation where they started denying American citizens because they believed that we weren't as uh, sanitary or careful with uh, COVID as as they might have thought. Yeah, a lot of I mean, a lot of countries were just there was you had to constantly be looking at what countries were allowing which countries in and what were the requirements and so most countries were not, if you had a U.S. passport, you couldn't get in unless you were a resident. So, yeah. That's even, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like roulette when, when we were trying to decide where to go. It's like, all right, well, these are the countries allowing us in. Let's just buy flights to all of them and see where we end up. Yeah. That's bananas. So you guys, yeah. but you guys were in Uganda? Like, how did you guys get in Uganda again? I guess I'm a little bit lost on that one. Like, okay. what's going on here? <laughs> So we were in Ghana. Ghana, sorry. Yeah, um, we were in Ghana. And, um, you know, so a, a lot of people have, would always tell me like, oh, it was really brave and, you know, must have taken a lot of courage. And I wish I could do that, but. And that typically followed by, but I can't because of where I'm at in my career. I can't just drop all this stuff or I'm the breadwinner my family relies on me. I'm at the prime age for starting a family. So I can't do that. Right. There's all these excuses for it. And I promise you, I am no more courageous than anybody out there. The thing that I realized is the reality is there will never be a right time to live your dreams, no matter what that is, no matter what point in your life is. And, and, you know, I, before I made the decision to leave, I was also stuck. And I was stuck with what I call the shoulds. It's what everybody else, whether it's your teachers, your managers, society, your parents telling you who you should and shouldn't be, what you should and shouldn't do, what should and shouldn't matter. And so at the time, I was working at Google. My career was going well. And everyone's like, are you bananas? Why would you leave Google? You should just stay at this job. Like, why would you leave? My husband was pursuing his entrepreneurial venture. And so I was the breadwinner and I felt this pressure of you should be the stable one. You should be the responsible one. You know, you need to just stay. One of the biggest shoulds that I heard was, um, you know, I'm 40 right now. And so at the time I was in my mid thirties and it was, you should just have babies. You're at the prime baby making age. Your eggs are rotting. You should just have kids. Right. And so my husband and I, we weren't ready for kids, so we decided to freeze our embryos as a backup plan, and we, we thought, okay, that's a smart thing. But what we couldn't have predicted is that there was a mishap at the storage facility. So they emailed us one Sunday afternoon and told us there was a mishap. We don't know the viability of your embryos. 
until you plan to use them. And that was kind of my rock bottom point of like, well, do I do this big dream of mine to go travel the world and, and, you know, discover what it is that I want to do in life and travel and volunteer. Um, and so I hit this rock bottom point and I went on this long self-help journey and oftentimes when things on the outside look good and, you know, but you're still feeling a little stuck, it's hard to say out loud to other people, well, I'm not happy because you should feel grateful, right? Like, and that's how I felt. I felt a lot of shame around this notion of, well, I don't feel, I'm not happy, but I have this amazing job and amazing husband and amazing family, right? Like I don't have a right to not be happy. And so I went on this private self-help journey. I read every book out there. So if you need book recommendations, I can tell you all about the awesome <laughs> books out there. Uh, I read for eight months, didn't give me what I needed. Um, still had no answer. Do I have kids or do I go travel the world and do this dream of mine that I've always had? And then a, have you ever heard of ayahuasca? Ayahuasca? No. What's mm -hmm. that? Tell us more. So <laughs> ayahuasca is a medicinal plant. It's a psychedelic medicinal plant that Peruvians use and shamans, um, shamans hold this ceremony and it, my friend told me about it and she's like, I heard about this thing. It's called ayahuasca. It's supposed to give you clarity. And I'm like, clarity. That's what I need. I need clarity. <laughs> So I went down to Peru for five day ayahuasca ceremony and they always say ayahuasca gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. What I wanted was that answer. Do I have babies or do I go travel the world? And so, you know, I got so much clarity on other parts of my life, but not this question. And so I returned home and it was a uh, coworker who introduced me to coaching. I had no clue what, what coaching was all about. And I got myself a coach. And my coach is the person who helped me to peel back the layers and figure out what really mattered to me. And I realized that if I don't do this thing, like I've always dreamed of traveling the world. And so if I don't travel the world, if I don't go, go um, give back and, and pursue this dream of mine, I'm going to hold a lot of regret in my life and maybe unintentionally hold resentment towards my future child. And plus, even if I stayed and didn't go, there's no guarantee. Like we don't have control over very much, right? There's no guarantee I'm going to have a child just because I don't go on this trip and just because I stay. So I made the decision that I'm going to quit my job at Google. I'm going to go pursue this thing and go travel the world and give back. And then the second thing I decided was, I want to do what my coach did for me, for other people, because being stuck sucked. And so I went and I pursued my coaching degree. And one of my greatest learnings on my journey is that your mindset, not your circumstance, makes all the difference in your happiness and success. And what do you mean like your, your, your mindset makes all the difference? Like, I mean, I get it, right? So your mindset, mm -hmm. you know, the, the way that you think changes everything, but like, how did that correlate with you going down to Peru to, you know, go on this, like, I don't know, this, uh, spiritual enlightenment? Um, like was, was like, break me down a little bit. How does that like, is this real or like what, like what made you want to actually go do this thing? 
Like you're, you're a rational person who works at Google mm-hmm. or who was working <laughs> at Google. You know, you look at numbers and now you went on this spiritual journey. So I'm just trying to, mm-hmm. trying to grab where did this go left and right? Like what was it? Like were you at a point where you were desperate? It was like, hey, look, I've got a, I want this clarity. I, I believe in this. Or was this something that you believed in before of this like spiritualism and things like that? Well, I was, I was 38. I had just had my embryos, like, so going through the whole IVF process sucks. If you've, if you know anybody who's ever gone through that, you're stabbing your, your stomach with, with needles, like every single night and pumping yourself with hormones and you become bloated and, you know, like, and then you go through a surgery process to have 20 eggs removed out of you, you know? And so you go through this whole process, um, thinking that this is like your backup plan for future children, because you have all these people and, and especially for women, right? Like you get a lot of pressure about this time bomb, right? You're getting older. You're going to like screw up your future children. So you better have, you better like have children now. And so the embryos were my backup plan and it costs one, it costs a lot of money Two, your body goes through a lot to create these embryos. And then to find out a year later, oh, something happened at the storage facility because they freeze them, right? Something happened at the storage facility. We don't know if they're viable anymore. Wow. And and so that was my bottom rock bottom point of, okay, maybe this is a sign from somebody telling me I should just settle down and have kids. But this, you know, it, it, I'm not happy about it because I, there's still this big dream and I can't go volunteer and travel the world at least I thought I couldn't, right? And start a family at the same time. There are things that, so there was this tug between what I feel like I should be doing versus what my heart was telling me I should, I want to do. There was the want and there was the should, and I couldn't decipher between the two, especially after the embryos. And and to this day, we don't know if the embryos are viable until we plan to use them, until we plan on like going through the surgery process to insert them back into me to see if they, they will stick and if they're viable. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's banana. So now you're at this point, but, but weren't, aren't you, are you pregnant now? Or I thought. I, yeah, I am. <laughs> and so that's, that, so that, that's part of the, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we did leave, we went to, we went and traveled. Um, we got stuck in Ghana and we started living nomadically. And because I'm a coach, I can live and work from anywhere. And in February, um, I had a lot of people telling me you, again, the shoulds, you should start trying. If you want kids, you're 40. It's going to be really hard. You're probably going to have to get medical procedures. It will likely take you months, if not years to get pregnant at age 40, if you even can get pregnant and have a family. Right. And so my husband and I, in February, we decided, well, we should just start trying because, you know, everybody is telling me that it's going to take forever. So we started trying and thinking it would take a year. It took two months. (laughs) No, no procedures, no nothing. And it was, it was a great surprise, but it was definitely a surprise. And we're like, oh, well, I guess again, people were wrong, you know, like hence all these shoulds and listening to everybody else. I mean, we're overjoyed at the same time. It was like, we had expected, oh, it'll take a year and a lot of money and a lot of medical procedures. So we decided to, to return home 
to start a family here. Wow. And when you say here, where's here? We are in Maryland at the moment. This is where we're going to be because this is where I was born and raised. We have a huge support system. So we decided to stay here for a year. And then we have aspirations of getting a sprinter van to travel around in a sprinter van. Oh, wow. Okay, we're doing that. Yeah, I thought that would be like taboo now after that whole, uh, what was that, the the, the pedio, patio uh, young woman? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Tabooed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we're we're still open to a a sprinter van before baby needs to go to school and do all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's the, I mean, the, the, the other thing that I've learned is change is the only constant and being able to navigate and pivot with whatever the world brings you. Cause that we're not in control of very much. And so being able to be willing to be adaptable and flexible to whatever comes your way. Yeah, totally. So I would like to touch on too, as well as like, so like you were at, you know, you were at a uh, Google, and what was your mm-hmm. position? Were you like a product manager, designer? What were you? What was, VP, what were you doing? I was I was a global leader of um, talent program. So you can think of it almost like a chief people officer for, an in, for a team. So I was leading a global team, um, thinking through everything from diversity, equity, inclusion, learning development, compensation benefits, so the entire like talent bucket of work. So would that be like more in HR or... Mm-hmm. Some okay, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, what made you want to get into that? And then, like, what what happened? Like, I'm I'm looking for this point of where it was like this massive transition where you decided to pivot over and do something else different, totally. So, so as even before Google, so I was working at Clorox as a brand manager, and I was on Hidden Valley Ranch dressing, and. I had to go into a room to meet with a lawyer and uh, ask, what is the minimum amount of Greek yogurt I have to legally put into the Greek yogurt dressing to call it Greek yogurt dressing? And it felt just wrong to me. Like, I'm going to trick the consumer into making them think Greek yogurt dressing is so healthy for them. And I'm also trying to put like minimum amount into there, right? Like it just, everything about it felt wrong. And so at that point, I had actually quit my job at Clorox. I decided to go do some soul searching, like an eat, pray, love thing. And, um, you know, I was going to Tanzania, my plan at the time, Tanzania, teach women business skills. I was taking barista lessons because I figured you could, you know, be a coffee maker anywhere in the world (laughs) in case I ran out of money. That was the plan. And then on it, like serendipitously, a recruiter from Google contacted me on LinkedIn the day that I was looking at flights and about to buy my flight to Tanzania. 16 days later, I had the offer. And so, you know, my going away party became a, I'm just staying here party. I had to like beg my landlord to give me my lease back. You know, things just change so fast. And when I started at Google, I always said, well, I'm going to give this five years, but I still want to pursue this dream of mine. And so that had always been my intention, even heading into Google, like this is a five-year thing, but I want to go do, tra- I want to travel, I want to go give back, I want to volunteer and work with women overseas. Wow. So this was something that was already predestined or pre-planned. It was a goal. Yeah. One of those bucket list yeah. things that you wanted to take care of and do. Oh. Yeah. It, it's, been, it's been a dream of mine. You know, growing up, we didn't do any travel. 
Um, we, I never even went to the beach as a kid. So I'd always had this curiosity about the world. And the first time that I left the country, I went to Spain and it's been this like fascination with cultures and people and travel and meeting people and hearing their stories and exploring and really immersing. So I'm not the type of person who goes to like an all-inclusive resort and sit there in, in that resort. I'm the type of person who like goes out and meets people and I love to hear other people's stories. So it's been this constant fascination and then the thought of just doing this for a year and, you know, working at a coffee shop and meeting the local people just, it excites me. Right. Sounds cool. Sounds like an adventure, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. one question I like to dig into as well is like, uh, why were you able to travel to the beach? Like what was going on there? <laughs> <laughs> My parents were never beach people. Okay. Okay. My mom doesn't know how to swim. Uh, and they were, so I'm a... My parents are immigrants to the U.S., okay. so they were constantly working. They didn't have any time to take us anywhere. We would go on a vacation once every blue moon, and like because we didn't have very much money, it would const it would just be car drives, right? Like we we were living in Maryland, so we might take a car drive over to New York. The furthest we went was um, down to Florida. I think I was like 11 and we took like a 16 hour longest drive ever down to Miami and Orlando. And we went to Disney, Disney world and sea world at the time, you know, like, and, and, but that was like once every five or six years, we would do something like that. Wow. Yeah. How, how did that affect your parents, man? I mean, like, you know, always working, like what kind of life did they live? You know, just always working. They, they, they were exhausted a lot and they didn't get to see us very much. They missed, you know, all our sports games and stuff, but it's kind of what they had to do. They came from very little. I'm actually writing a book about them and I've been interviewing them and they grew up like my mom and dad used to go hungry as kids and they didn't have very much. Right. And so for them, and that's what they do to show us love is through food. And so all of our childhood, myself and my two older sisters, my parents worked to provide food for the table and to make sure that we had a roof over our heads. And they loved us in, in so many ways, but they couldn't physically be there as much as they wanted to. Both parents worked two jobs. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, what's, what's, what's funny is like, you have a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, you know, my parents weren't there, things like that. And like, you know, they, they grow up and they're, they're angry about that. Did any of that mm -hmm. happen to you where you were angry at your parents because they weren't able to be there for you day and night to take care of you and <laughs> baseball games and whatever not? I, I will say that uh, there was definitely a longing when I played. I used to play sports in school and my parents, I think all four years of high school, my parents came to one game. And it was the one game because I was, I still remember I was like a starter and we were playing a crappy school. And so we let all the benchers be able to play and I had to sit out and I was like, damn it, the one game that they come to. And my parents kind of joked with me afterwards. They were like, so we came all the way to this game to watch you sit. <laughs> you know, like, um, so there was a, a bit, you know, and then you see the other kids where their parents are always there. And so there was definitely that longing, but I also understood why, you know, like they had to work. Um, I, I also have to say that like when I was much younger, I didn't, they gave so much love to us 
and uh, we always had food. I never thought about the fact that we were poor. Like it never occurred to me. I thought I had anything I wanted. Like anytime I wanted to eat something, my mom was like, sure. And she would make it or she would get it. Um, So I never felt like we were poor. And it wasn't until I got a little older that I realized, oh, we actually, you know, compared to everybody else where we are poor, you know, my parents are working a lot and, and working really hard in order to give us what they are able to give us. Wow. And when you say poor, what, I mean, that that could be relative to different people. Like what was poor to you guys growing up? Um, so they, they were able to get, uh, the low income housing. So when they bought a house, they were, they, they could get a low income housing. Yep. They qualified the house that I'm actually sitting in right now is my childhood house. And this was a low income housing. We were on food stamps. Um, yeah. So we, I consider that poor. I mean, yeah, but even thinking about it, like I never felt that way. Right. Like, cause we had a house, we had food. My parents showed us a lot of love in different ways. Um, we didn't always go to movie theaters, but we rented back in the day VCRs and we had like the membership to Errol's and Blockbuster. <laughs> so we would have family movie nights and, you know, there would be popcorn. So I never felt deprived. Right. I mean, so at a certain point, were you poor, you know, were you poor, poor, or were you just mm-hmm. like not as fortunate? So, so, and, and I guess it depends on how you define things, right? Like, how do you define fortunate and how do you define, um, how do you define poor? Because a lot of people claim, uh, you know, they were less fortunate, you know, and, and you could definitely say, sure, I came from a less fortunate family, but I actually felt very fortunate because I had the love for my parents. And to me, that's more important than anything else. Right. And you had a house. Like I grew up feeling, yeah, I had a roof. I had food. I didn't starve. My parents starved as children. Um, and, and I had, had their, their love. Whereas you look at some people who grow up with, you know, what seems like everything, uh, but they're actually missing the most important piece, which is feeling included and, and belonging and feeling loved. Right. But at the same time, you could argue that, you know, when you have more money, sometimes you have more time to think about things, you know? Possibly. You know, sometimes when you have so much money, you can complain. You have the, you have the option for complaining. You know, when you're, when you're poor, the further down the line you go, you know, you, you don't have so much time to complain. It's about survival. You know, it's like, I got to fucking eat. You know, like, mm-hmm. is this, is this gonna, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this, this goes to exactly what I was saying that your mindset, not your circumstance makes a difference. So there has actually been research that shows what you're calling your experience right now, like what you're experiencing, what I'm experiencing, what listeners are experiencing. 80% of this is coming from your head. 80%. Oh, yeah. Only 20% is the actual situation or circumstance. So you can choose to see things in different perspectives, right? It, it's it, it's why during the pandemic, some people thought it was the worst thing ever and some people could see the gift or opportunity in it, right? Like a lot of people, they they come to me and they tell me, well, that sucked that you had this dream to travel the world and then you ended up getting stuck in Ghana and not really getting to travel. Because even though we were living nomadically, 
like when we were in Croatia, everything was closed. We were just sitting in an Airbnb. It's not like I was gallivanting around Croatia. I was in an Airbnb. All the restaurants were closed, you know. So, um, but I, I still found the gift or opportunity of being in the situation or circumstance that I was in. And so it really is like, do you see it? Do you see growing up as being fortunate or not? Do you see your, you know, having money as a good thing or a bad thing? Like, it's all about how you view it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's all relevant um, in how you thinking, I mean, how you think internally mm-hmm. um, to a mm-hmm. certain point, right? To a certain point of reason, I, th- I think that, that, that it's all about thought. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, though, that, you know, as you're in a situation to where, you know, you have all the basic necessities that are, you know, available to you, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you just have this more time to think about things that you really, I feel personally, you might have not thought about um, if, if you were in a poor or, or in a less fortunate situation. But I think mm-hmm. like also, I mean, like, I mean, you can always meet a bunch of people who complain about their life. But I think like even me internally, what I, what I always sit there and say is like, you know, like I've, I mean, I've traveled abroad and, you know, I've ran into some unfortunate situations where I've, you know, gotten sick pretty much in every country mm-hmm. for some random thing. But you know what? There's, there's, some, there's an, uh, an also pro on that, which is mm-hmm. I'm visiting and seeing the entire freaking world. And how fortunate is that? So it's like mm-hmm. looking at the bigger picture. Yep. Right. And then accepting yep. that there are pros and cons to both of those, right? And, and that you mm-hmm. have to have those to kind of have this balance. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Totally agree. <laughs> no, to- totally agree. And, you know, um, have you ever heard of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? No, tell me. Let's, let us, let's, let's hear So it. Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the base is your physiological needs. So this is like the basic needs that everybody has. Food, water, warmth. Shelter. You know, rest, okay. shelter. Yeah. And once you get that, right, like, so it moves up the ladder of, like, into psychological and then self-fulfillment. And so if you do have money, then you don't worry as much about your basic needs. Then you can start thinking about, to your point, about self-fulfillment, right, the, your purpose in life and doing things with intentionality. And you can think about that or you can complain about things. These are facts. And, you know, what's mm-hmm. so interesting about that is, you know, um, when you, you know, I always say this, right? And this is something I always say to people all the time. And I say like, Hey, when you are financially free, you are more awoke. And my reasoning is that is like the further down the line you are, you're kind of driving a car intoxicated, you know, you're making mm-hmm. decisions based off of needs and means mm-hmm. depending on how far you are down the line. And it's like, but once you're at that point where you have opportunity to make any decision, you have the time to actually think about it in a more clearer mentality versus mm-hmm. where you're at this, you know, this, uh, you know, um, beginning point where you're just like, oh, I still need to get my baseline in life in order just to, you know, kind of figure out what it is I want to do and, and to think to think uh, more clearly. Like, I feel like in general, when you are at a point to where, you know, you have this luxury to think about tomorrow five years from now, mm-hmm. like even you, you were like, Oh yeah, five years from now, you know, this is my goal. Like even that's a luxury to think five years out mm-hmm. and have that plan. And I think everybody should think of that, but still it's still a luxury because when you're living in certain environments, you probably don't have, you know, that five year thought 
Like I've learned that yeah. going in areas where there was more poverty that existed, they weren't thinking about five fucking years. Like I mm-hmm. ask him, hey man, so what's your, f-? you know, and I, I go in those areas, you know, I, as a kid, I went into poor areas and I would ask people like, hey man, you know, what do you plan on doing after this and this? And they're like, they'd look at me like, what the heck's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Get out of here. Like, I'm going to punch you in the head. <laughs> 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 Who's this nerd? <laughs> <laughs> so I see that there is like when you are stuck in the survival mode, you're definitely a little, you know, there is this cloud and, and you can't just be thinking about five years now, from now because you're so focused on like just surviving Um, and I will say that some people still get stuck in thinking they're in that survival mode when they could be thinking about their five-year plan. Because like I had a client who was like, well, I still need, you know, she lived in her fear mode, the survival mode of like, but I need all these things and I need this and I need that. And a lot of times when we say we need things, we actually don't need it right? There's a difference between needing and wanting. And we actually don't need very much to survive. Like my husband and I survived off a tiny backpack of clothes. Was it, did, did our wardrobe get boring? Yes. Did we need more? No. Um, and I had like a client who, who was stuck in this survival mode and, and, you know, when she sat down to think about it, a lot of the things she said she needed, she really, you know, she didn't need, the other thing is we're, when, I, when we were volunteering in Ghana, we met so many families that were living day to day to day, you know, barely surviving, but they were so happy. And part of it is because they were not worried about the past or worried about the future. They were just happy and grateful for what they had every day. In Ghana, like they were they were the kindest, happiest people, you know, like the kids would be so overjoyed and playful and laughing and people would be so present with each other and they would be laughing and, you know, hugging and dancing. Like they would have lunch and then go dancing outside together, you know, and just somebody would pull out a drum and they would start drumming and they would just start dancing and having a good old time. And I feel like in the Western world, we're so focused on um, this, fulfillment and this, you know, like the future and the past that we're not so present in the today and actually appreciating that we're alive today. Yeah. I think we call it the rat race, right? I mean, is that similar what we are in, right? We're always worried about what our friends are doing. I feel like, you know, it starts earlier off um, when you're a kid, when everybody's pressuring you to, to, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up, you know? Mm -hmm. And it slowly starts kicking in. You go into school, what's your grades, you know, what do you want to do when you get out? You know, who mm-hmm. do you want to marry? And all these, all these social pressures that a lot yep. of people and uh, modest civilizations don't have to uh, think about. And I think also you were in Ghana where there was more like maybe not a, a bigger city. This was more like sounds like more like maybe like a, a tribal area or some sort. Or like, can you tell me more about it, that? It, it was uh, Kumasi, which is the second largest city mm. in Ghana. So Accra is their capital. So Kumasi is the second largest. There are definitely still um, villages run by chiefs, but even, so I worked at one of the state of the art hospitals and I say state state of the art, 
And when I got there, like I was pretty shocked what state of the art was for them, but it was the, the state of the art for them. And even at the hospital during lunch, after lunch, you know, you could, you would look outside the window and you would see the nurses and the doctors and, you know, everybody just gathered in the little courtyard, just like dancing and playing music and having a good time after lunch, you know, like they just, they knew how to enjoy themselves. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but I wonder if like, if that's the same thing and more of like, um, I guess I'm wondering like, is it, was it more modernized like Western culture? Mm -hmm. Cause like, I think like places like in certain areas in like Nigeria and different countries within that continent have more of a modern pattern um, within them instead of just more of like this more hybrid model, right? Where it's still kind of yes. like basic, but yeah. then at the same time we're, we're doing cutting edge stuff, but it's still kind of this modest environment. Yeah. And I think I've actually read something recently that like the more modern places get, the happiness level tends to sometimes drop. It depends on like what they're taught and what the philosophy and culture is, right? Like, um, and so it, there is that balance of how do you view things? And, and also, of course, polit politics and things in certain countries are worse. There's a lot of, you know, so there's a lot of different factors, too. Yeah, sure. totally. I mean, I, I think like when you're, you know, you're over in, you know, an, another country that doesn't have the same priorities as you, there's a pros and cons that you're mm -hmm. going to have in general. Like, you know, maybe this country may care about your well-being more, but at the same time, you know, there's, there might not be that, uh, that much, uh, uh, how would I say this? There wouldn't be that much, uh, great technology that you would be used to in the Western world because, you had to take a you had to take a back burner because more people wanted to mm -hmm. party and chill out and hang out and have a good time, which is not bad, but it's just priorities mm -hmm. of culture maybe variant. Oh, it, it, that's definitely, and there, that that's the thing is like there's always pros and cons. So in Ghana, we had blackouts all the time, which is you could see it as a bad thing or you could see it as like oh there's a positive to it. Like it was a forcing function for me to go to sleep. Right? Like blackout. All right. Time, time to go to sleep. There can't, can't turn anything on. Um, there, there's no Amazon prime. You can't get Amazon delivery. <laughs> you know, you can't get things just like that. Um, we didn't even have access to good coffee. It was Nescafe packets and I'm a huge coffee drinker. Right. So, so every, I had got accustomed to drinking Nescafe packets rather than like amazing coffee. So one of my first joys when I got to Serbia was like, a cappuccino and I'm like this is what real coffee tastes like I forgot about it but yeah so there, there's definitely pros and cons to everything so it's kind of like how do we think about bringing the best of different parts into who we are yeah it's so amazing though it's so amazing when you think back even some of those regions of how sophisticated some of those uh, regions were at one time you know, and ahead, mm -hmm. and then it's like, it just crumbles, you know, due to, mm -hmm. you know, colonialism and things like that. It's just like, everything is just like scattered. It's not really yeah. a place where it used to be. And it can easily be disrupted mm -hmm. based off of war and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's funny to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's cool that you, you went over there, you started, you know, thinking about your life, you know, thinking about what were the trade-offs and that you really didn't want to live this other type of life where you're just consistently working for money. You wanted to live a little bit of life where you actually went out and got social with people and you interacted with people. And as mm -hmm. a child, you had this, this burning pain where it was like, hey, I want to see the world. I want to I do things. And when you finally got out there, you know, it was this point where it's just like, wow, I'm, I'm awoke. 
you know, this is more of who <laughs> I am. I like socializing and things like that. And it's pretty amazing. But like, as you were doing all this stuff like this, how could you tell me like, like, where does your husband fit in on all this? Like, he's like, how did he come <laughs> into this scenario? Like, yeah. What's his background? So he is uh, in the Air Force. He's an Air Force reservist. Um, and so he, he is also a coach. So we, he was able to work with clients while we traveled nomadically also. And he actually met me. Well, we knew each other before, um, but we reconnected while I was at Google. So, you know, at Google, I already had this plan in my head. I'm leaving in five years. One of the very first things that I asked him was, so I have this plan. I was thinking about quitting my job and traveling in, in you know, X number of years. What do you think about it? And it, it was important to me that whoever it was would either go with me or, or be okay with me going on my own. And he's like, oh, I've always wanted to do something like that and travel the world. And I'm like, good. <laughs> so that was a check mark. And as we got closer to it, you know, um, he was definitely on board. Although at first he was kind of hesitant. He's like, why Africa? And I don't know. I've always been drawn to, to, to the continent. Um, I've traveled there before. And I just, I, I felt like it was something, uh, it, it's just such a beautiful continent that people don't realize is beautiful. Well, I think that it's a beautiful continent that people don't realize it because the people that are in, on that continent predominantly don't rule the world right now. So mm -hmm. typically, it's all about, I mean, the world is just about colonialism and what's popular right now. And so yeah. whoever, whoever wins, history is, is, is written by its victors. So currently mm -hmm. right now, who's the most popular kid in town or who are the most popular kids in town and the regions of those are going to dictate of what is popular to go see. And I was actually yeah. telling one of my friends the other day, like, they were like, yeah, you know, I've, I was in Paris and I just, you know, it's, it's about romance. And I was just like, man, there's all these all these freaking catchphrases you're throwing out there. Like, just because you go to Paris, you're going to fall in love? You're going to fucking romance? Excuse me, but you're going to have a romance because uh -huh. you go to Paris? Seriously? Is this serious? Yeah. Like, are you really? Did you manipulate your mind to think that because you're in Paris, you're going to automatically fall in love? Like, where does that come from? Like, you've been programmed. Like, yes. go to someplace and, different. And that, that's the thing. Program is, I love that word. Well, I don't love the word, but it is so on point because so many of us, so many of us think that um, we are in control and that we are the ones making our own decisions and our own destiny. And without realizing it, it's like, no, you are, you are and have been programmed. You have been told all these things, right? Like all the shoulds are things we've been told. You should get a job and you should move up this ladder. You should make more salary as you move up this ladder. You know, you should have partner, kids, white picket fence, right? Like there's all these things that we're programmed to believe is the right thing. There's the right age to do certain things. There's the right, all these things. But where did we get it from? Our surroundings for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a hundred percent. I tell, you know, I tell mm -hmm. different, you know, relatives, they'll say like, oh yeah, you know, I'm thinking on my own and I'm doing this on my own. I'm like, are you really? Nope. If you subconsciously <laughs> hung around a person for such a period of time and you coincidentally doing some similar things, yeah, you might mm -hmm. not have done extreme things like the other person, but some of the things and behaviors you have picked up, and that's because of your surroundings. Oh, no, I'm different, and I do my own thing. I'm like, that's impossible. You're the average of the five most people you hang out with yep. the most. It's not yep. – it's just – it's 
you know, other women get around other women, what happens? You know, their administrational situation starts kicking in similarly, right? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't this right? Yep. So that's a biological fact. So what are we talking about? (laughs) And and it's, and that's the thing that that's the thing, you know, and that that's why I, that's what I was talking about. Like, you know, your mindset, your, you know, your circumstance, all of like, it's recognizing that your mindset makes a difference. Your mindset has been programmed. How do you shift your mindset so that you're actually living more consciously? And I know a lot of people think of the words like conscious versus unconscious as like very woo-woo, but that's the reality. We're living unconsciously because we've been programmed. So how do you get out of that? You know, it's to become more conscious of like, why am I doing the things that I'm doing and questioning that and making more intentional choices of what is it that I want to do versus what is it that I'm doing because, oh, my next door neighbor um, had this thing and I need to one up them, right? Like, I mean, that's not an intentional choice. That's somebody telling you that you better be better than your neighbor. Wow. That's crazy. So were you also in Silicon Valley? I don't know if we recall. Like you said, you're at Google, but which which office were you at? Were you on the the Bay Area side, or were you? At New York? I, I started you at? in the Bay Area, so I was in. Uh, I lived in San Francisco, and I commuted into um, uh, Mountain View, wow. and then I moved into New York and lived there for two years. But I wasn't even in New York, honestly, because I was running a global team, so I was on an airplane every other week. Wow, that's fun. You were traveling, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was not fun when was, you're oh, okay. because and and <laughs> everybody was like, "Oh, that's not that's so amazing. You get to travel." But I was in amazing places, but like one of my trips, I woke up and I was in I think I was in Zurich. I got on a train to go to Milan and was in the office during the day and then at night I got on a plane to go to Paris. So one day, three countries, amazing places, didn't see any of it. I was on trains and planes and in offices. Wow. Sounds like a book, Trains and yeah. Planes and Offices. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a good book title or maybe a song. <laughs> of your life of, uh, you know, working at Google and traveling to different cities. Yeah. how What it was like. Yeah. Crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like, you know, you know, the Bay Area is a, is a unique place. Um, it's, it's not like a lot of places in the United States. I always say it's like another country almost in a way when you compare it to most of the country, most of the cities in the United States per mm-hmm. se, um, just like Miami is, you know, it, it's, it's another mm-hmm. country almost within the United States. Um, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's, it's a different place. You don't find places in the United States that are like the Bay Area and Miami. They're like these little subcultures of, of other bigger mm-hmm. cultures. But it's unique that you worked at Google and, you know, you were doing the whole tech thing and your husband was in the Air Force, correct, at the same time? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. was he stationed out here or? He was in the, he, he's, he was in the reserves. Oh, reserves. So, okay. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. so he was in the reserves and uh, he was on the, I guess it's called civilian side. So doing like, so government civilian, but also Air Force reservist. So, yeah. And he was uh, working out of L.A. at the time. Awesome, awesome. So you guys were going back yeah. and forth like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we ended up moving to New York. Ah. So he, he, he switched out of that. He went into, I think he, was, he worked at NYU coaching veterans in New York. And, uh, and I was at Google out of New York office because we're both like tired of doing the whole commute back and forth. And we also wanted to experience living in New York before it, it 
we've never done it and we all always wondered what it would be like. So we're like, let's go do it before we get old and we won't want to do this. So let's try this out. So we went to New York. So yeah, another question I would dig into is like, what do you, like when you're in a situation to where, you know, you're on the discovery phase where you want to help people, humanitarian things. Mm -hmm. Why did you, what interests you in you, the whole humanitarian thing? I don't know. Like, as a child, I've, I was always wanting to help people. And, and maybe it was just a part of me. Like I was the kid who I would see some, you know, something that needed help and I would try to help. And my passion though was always around, um, as I grew up, my passion was always around women. And I think part of it was also because I grew up in a household where, um, my dad was very traditional Chinese man that was like, you know, this is what women do and this is what women don't do. And this is what women are capable of. Like, I still remember I was 11. He was fixing the front door, the, the doorknob and the lock. And I turned around and I was like, oh, daddy, can I help you? And he was like, no, girls don't know how to do this. And I got so pissed, but, you know, I couldn't say anything back because Chinese dad. So he actually had left, went upstairs and I kept looking back and I, I went, I fiddled with it and I fixed that doorknob in like five minutes. When he came down, he looked at it, he, you know, messed with it. He's like, did you do this? And I'm like, yeah, because that's what girls can do. And Ooh. so it's like, I, <laughs> I still remember that moment. And I feel like from that moment on, I, had, I went on like this m mission to just prove like women can do things. Um, and I wanted to empower women to be able to believe that they could do things too. And I'm not sure. I know that I remember that memory as like a pivotal moment, but it, there was this fire in me to always do that. Right. That's crazy. Women can't do things. Who would believe that? Mm -hmm. They can make babies, mm -hmm. but they can't do things. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. That's just, it's an odd mentality. It's an odd thought to think that anybody or a person that has the capability of, of thinking can't do i think that's just ridiculous mm -hmm. when people put like labels on things like that and you know i think you got to also step out the cultural norms and i think it takes a certain person to do that not everybody's mm -hmm. big enough to jump out of cultural norms and say what mm -hmm. about a human what can a human do not oh mm -hmm. well, do women do this and does this person like this and do curly haired people do this and does this person do that it's humans right it's, if you want to do something yep. you're passionate about it and you're in the right conditions you learn to do stuff like you were in a situation yeah. where, you know, your father, he pushed you to do something. Well, he pushed you to not do something. So you felt challenged. And so when yeah. that was challenged, that's when it made you get more creative. You got stressed and you got angry and you turn that angry, you turn that anger into some type of solution. And your goal mm -hmm. at that point was like, I have to prove this person wrong because they just told me mm -hmm. I can't do it. Like I'm an I can't person I, myself, right? If somebody says I can't, it's just like it starts itching on my back. I'm like, <laughs> I can't what? Ah, uh, uh, it's like kryptonite or like, you know, yeah. uh, freaking what's the stuff that vampires are afraid of? Uh, what is it called? Uh, garlic. Garlic. Yeah. <laughs> garlic, like garlic and the crosses. And the crosses. You put that out. Ah, you can't. What? <laughs> what do you mean? I fucking can't. <laughs> I certainly can. Wow. If I'm going to figure it out, if I, ah, what are you saying? Like not everybody's affected like that, but I think certain people are, certain people are driven by the, I can't. Um, mm -hmm. and so that kind of pushes into your shouldn'ts, you know, um, certain people are driven by that. And I think not everyone is, but that is a, an attribute that I think like certain people, you know, have, 
And I think when you have that, you you are you are that type of person who likes to be challenged and likes to go against you know the the grind in life. Google. Yeah, there you go. That would be me. You did, did it all the way to I, Google. Um, you know, I actually hold one of my undergraduate degrees is in computer science, and I was the girl who um, my computer broke, and one of my friends was going to come fix it, and he asked me what operating system are you running? I'm like, what is an operating system? So I was that person, right? Didn't know what an operating system was. And all my friends were studying computer science or engineering. And they were always complaining about how hard the classes were. So I was like, well, it can't be that hard. You shouldn't be complaining that much. Like, why are you complaining? Can't be that bad. And someone said, for the girl who doesn't know what an operating system is, you probably shouldn't be talking, right? I'm like, huh. Well then, so I declared my major the next day as computer science <laughs> and I, I killed the, the degree, you know, like, and some of my friends who told me I couldn't do it, they, they ended up dropping it. And I was like, well, there you go. You know? So I am definitely that person that if you're like, you can't do this and like, watch me. Yeah. I mean, I, not always a good thing though. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, I also was the kid who said, you know, when I had a, a neighborhood friend as a kid, he said, hey, but you can't ride that tricycle down the stairs. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you telling me? I can't do that? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. So I get on the tricycle, ride down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Turns out I bust my head and I start bleeding and I run back upstairs and I have to show my mom that my forehead is bleeding and there's blood everywhere and she thinks something stabbed me in the skull. Um, and she's screaming, uh, yeah, but I did it though. I did it. I did yeah. it. Yeah. That is true. So there, there are definitely moments when it, it, it's very handy. And then there are some moments where you, you end up doing something stupid because of it. But yes. It's that back to future moment, man. It's that back to future. You know, I think Marty uh -huh. McFly had the same similar thing in, in a certain way, you know, where somebody uh -huh. called him chicken. It was kind of like, I can't. Yep. So I think it same type of, you have to have that, that that same type of energy. And if you have that, it can be a mm -hmm. pro and it can be a con. It really depends. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. So and it's knowing how to channel that. Yes. And knowing how to control it. Like you said. Yep. So how did you guys get into self, you know, help and awareness and mind and body, all this spiritual stuff. This stuff is getting so popular now, especially after COVID. Everybody wants to get in touch with their, you know, mm -hmm. their, their aura and their spirit and their she and all that stuff like that. Yeah. I could be saying some shit wrong, but this is what people want to do. <laughs> all the woo woo stuff. Yeah. All the woo woo. Right. So like, what, what is this? What's going on? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've tried to pinpoint the exact time of when this happened, because I used to look at people who like, you know, meditated and did yoga and I'm like, Oh, what tree huggers, right? That was my mentality. Um, and I'm like, especially living in San Francisco, maybe that's where it started is people just started rubbing off on me and I didn't even realize it, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, you did say the people you surround yourself with, you become the average of those people. So maybe that's where it came from, but <laughs> It was definitely sometime while I was in San Francisco. That's when I picked up yoga. Um, that's when I started meditating through the app Headspace. I was always curious about it, but I, you know, I had no, I was like, what do you do? Just sit there and not think? I don't know how to do that. And, and so I used Headspace. And so it was like this slow journey and I, it, it kind of just built. I don't know if there's like 
a pivotal moment that actually like shifted all. I just started dabbling. I always call it dabbling and experimenting and learning and realizing that it wasn't so woo woo. And then my husband, it was kind of the same thing for him. It was a really, really bad breakup. And, and so that kind of like, you know, he did a lot of inner work on, on the breakup and who he was and, and, you know, he, he, got out of dating for like two years and was trying to figure himself out. Yeah. And so that was his moment. He started reading more. He started meditating. Um, and for him, it was this journey also. When we both met, we both were not as woo-woo as we are right now. And I think when we got together, it we just supported each other on this personal growth too. And so it just, yeah, it just kind of happened. I, I can't really pinpoint a moment, but I'm sure that, some of the San Francisco people oozed into me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I've been to some of this shit. I've been to some of this uh-huh. stuff, shit, things, cool, whatever. I've been to it. <laughs> and I just like, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty critical. I'm all about spirituality and, you know, talking about it, manifestation, all these things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea, you know, I did try it. I tried it. I tried it. I did try it. I went to a breathing class. Um, young woman came up to me when I was working at this company, building some things. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, you should come to my breathing class. We'll teach you how to breathe. And it's called breath work. And she made it sound mm-hmm. all awesome. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Breath work. What do you, what do you mean? What's that going to do for me? Breathe. Like, what's that? What are we talking mm-hmm. about here? So I get there. You know, everybody's got their little mats and they're laying on the ground and she's like they're going through some things you know hey sit down stretch breathe things like that sounds cool okay stretch breathe i don't know why i'm stretching i don't really like stretching breathing okay i already breathe automatically what are we doing here um i'm skeptical for sure and then there's mm-hmm. just like this I'm, I'm i'm sitting there man there's there's eventually there's some you know i'm, I'm trying it out I'm, I'm i'm being i'm being i'm being a participant but then there's this person making you know some you know some provocative noises and i'm just like what's going on here man like i thought i was here to breathe what is this guy doing right now (laughs) like what is happening here that's just like i just like i didn't open my eyes but i just heard all these weird noises i was like what is going on here i don't think this is me i can't wait to the bathroom break kicks in because this is just different like i'm not feeling like there were there was a point where people started explaining like what do they feel and I was like, dude, mm-hmm. I didn't feel any of that shit. I didn't feel any of it. All the stuff that some of these people were talking about, I was like, yeah, I didn't feel any of that. I'm going to be a good Samaritan, and I, I found somebody's wallet because they left in the bathroom. I'm going to give that. That's that's the only good deed I felt right now. Like, But as far as that, mm-hmm. I thought it was cool to meet people and just to hang out and things like that. But I didn't get the whole breath work and the, and the stretching, and I, there wasn't no release of demons. Um, it, it just didn't happen for me. I just was like... I don't know why I'm doing this. This is like, I'm trying. I'm trying to get to my inner self, but I didn't, I didn't feel this like, ooh, ah, moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, did, I just didn't feel it. And I felt it in, in certain things. Like when I grab a, you know, a guitar and I'm playing with a, uh-huh. a instrument with a band or if I'm dancing and like there's this thing or there's this deep in-depth conversation. These things mm-hmm. give me this spiritual, ah, it's, it's like heaven. But this doesn't do that for me. I didn't. Feel, I didn't feel a connection. I wasn't on the wave. I didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't ride with it. I felt like, I felt it was fake. I felt like people weren't being genuine, and I felt like people were being desperate for just mm-hmm. some spiritual love. And like, I just was like, you know, I'm more of a, a, a 
a vibration person. You know, you tell me to breathe. It's not really going to, I mean, breathing does help. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But to sit into a room full of people where I felt like I need to, this was too ceremonial and it just really, I tried it and just didn't do it for me. Didn't do it. Uh, didn't do it. <laughs> so when you're playing guitar, when you're dancing, um, you know, and all the other things, when you're having these deep conversations, how hard are you trying? I'm not at all. And that was the difference. Yeah. And so I think I agree with you that that was a great difference. And so that's why. So, so then at some point I think like, are there certain things that you can find in individuals that relieve them in different ways that they're comfortable with and doorways that mm -hmm. they're comfortable with, comfortable with? Like some people have certain patterns in life that they like doing for releasing, mm -hmm. you know, that are healthy. Right. I think. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people, you know, want to go out the front door. Some people like going out through the back door, whatever door mm -hmm. you feel like is, is comfortable for you. That's your way. Some people have mm -hmm. their own habit of things, but as long as you do what you came to do, I think that's the imperative thing, you know, talking about things. I love that. You know, like you said yourself, you know, those things mm -hmm. are the, the true connection points and spiritual awakenings for me. Or sometimes I might watch a movie or hear what somebody says or talk to a random stranger and it just might like snap, boom, woo-ha moment. Right. But definitely mm -hmm. this meditational releasing period that I feel that people were trying to get, or they said they were getting during breath work and things like that. I get that from just grabbing a guitar by myself and especially if I'm playing with a group of people or just people listening to it, that's just, there's just like this unexplained release and you just mm -hmm. feel great afterwards. When you first started, and I, I completely agree with you, when you first started playing the Dancing guitar, yeah. <laughs> when, when you first started playing, did you feel the same way about it? Like with this release and this spiritual connection? Oh yeah. When you, when you were first learning. Oh, oh first learning. Mm -hmm. I think as soon as like I started plucking the strings and, and different things like that, I was I was focused on trying to just control my the vibration mm -hmm. and make those tones. But when I heard the tones and I could feel the tones, I knew what I mm -hmm. felt, and it was just expressing that. You know, when I was focused on just trying to express that with my hand, but when mm -hmm. it got to the point where I was just able to just let it, let it go, yeah, and vibrate, it and it just I wasn't thinking about the actual movement. Yeah. Then it was just to a point where it was mm -hmm. just like. It was just like this flow of movement. Yeah, peace. It was good. It was great. <laughs> and so that's the thing with all of these woo-woo things. When we're trying and in our head and we're like, is it working? Am I doing it right? Is it right? Like we're in our heads and we're not allowing it to happen and to just be with it. And so like with your guitar and just flowing and letting your hands just feel the music, right? And it's the same thing with playing the instrument when you're learning and you're trying so hard to figure out, am I doing it right? You're not in the flow and it isn't until you let go that you are in the flow. It's the same thing with meditation. I'm sure with the breath work, you know, like all of those things, when you stop trying, when you let go, that is when you actually experience it. And I could agree with that, but maybe also the setting. And then also I just could, you know, I'm a really mm -hmm. spiritual being if I say so myself mm -hmm. and I could just feel vibes and what I could feel like when somebody's just not sincere and just, just overreacting. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like there was a lot of bad actors in there. I felt like there were people who were acting spiritual and they weren't really, they, they weren't getting this, this woo moment, but they felt like they, mm -hmm. that's what it's about. You know, I gotta be like in Silicon Valley and in certain places and environments <laughs> like this, everybody's just playing this role. Oh yeah. You know, I'm I agree smart. With that. I'm this, I am spiritual. And so you just get this whole thing where you just have these actors, man. 
you have these actors, and they're not really into whatever they're doing, but they think they have to be because they're in this environment, you know? It's like a person mm-hmm. believes, like, that, oh, I'm a dancer. I'm dancing so great. I'm dancing so great. But they're really not that good, and they're really not having a good time. <laughs> but they think it because they think that's what they have to do, but they're really not, right? They're not connected. They're not self-aware. Yes. Yes. Completely agree. And, and definitely in the Bay Area, there is a group of people who are like, I'm a yogi and I meditate, so therefore I am better than everybody else, right? Like, and the whole notion of that is just like uh, that you're defeating the whole purpose of yoga and meditation. You're not better because you do it, right? It's not to compare yourself to other people. And so there, there's definitely those, like you said, the bad actors who are like, uh, you know, and um, so I agree with you on that. And I think that's what messes it up. I think that's what messes it up. It, it, it pollutes the environment. When you have the bad mm-hmm. actors, whether they are the, the instructors, the teachers, whatever it may be, and then also the, the bad audience, the people who just go there because they just want to be a part of this cultural yep. thing. I want to be a part of spiritualism. I just want to be spiritual because I want to talk about spirituality because yep. it's cool. I go to yoga every <laughs> freaking day. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just talk about our minds and our spirit, and we just let it go. And you're like, it's just so mm-hmm. relaxing. And let me Instagram all about it. Yeah, it was so amazing. We just, like, felt spirits, you know? It's just, like, amazing. Like, spirits were, like, bouncing off the wall, like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining this, like, background woo-woo music going. I'm just like, are you kidding me with this? Like, be real. Like, be honest. Be transparent. What's going on? Mm -hmm. If you don't feel it right now, just say, hey, I don't feel it, but I'm trying. Really want to get it going, you know? And it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt like, even some of the instructors were trying to be, you know, so self-aware and so, you know, uh, born again. And it's just like I could tell they weren't even really there yet themselves. They needed more mm-hmm. spiritual healing than the persons that they were mentoring. But it was just all mm-hmm. the jazz and the talk. It was like, yeah, I went through this pain and, you know, my parents told me this and they're struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. And I don't talk to this person and that. And I'm like, yeah, this is great things, but you got you to gotta fix yourself first before you try to fix other people. Yeah. Like, how can you not, you don't know how to love. You don't know how to love your own self. And you're out here, you're desperate. You're like, I'm looking for relationships. I'm looking for love. I'm not cool with my parents and these people and that. And you're like, but you gotta, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. How can you? And that's, that's the hard, the the tough inner judgment that a lot of people have, you know, like they, they judge themselves, they judge other people. And there's, there's a uh, Buddhist saying, have you ever heard of beginner's mind? No, no, no. But I might have heard some of the principles. Kick it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I love this saying. So it's beginner's mind. And it's really about approaching the world with a beginner's eyes. Whether you're a child or you're learning something for the first time, you're fascinated by it. It's new to you, right? Like, um, and oftentimes we go into certain things thinking, I already know it. I'm better than this person. I'm smarter. Like, why would I need to do this? And it's approaching everything that you do with a beginner's mind. Because every moment is new, every experience is new. And even if you think this person has nothing to teach me, or I'm a yogi and I'm so spiritual and this person is not spiritual, you might just learn something from that person. And so, like, you know, there are all these spiritual people that, you know, these actors, as you call them, that come at it with clearly not a beginner's mind. They're like, I'm an advanced mind and I look down on everybody else. So it's this notion is so helpful. No, I mean, they also just read these freaking books and they went to one testimony and they realized they can leverage it to make money. And so they start using the craft 
and polluting it mm-hmm. with being bad actors. And so now when somebody's real about it, you know, and wants a really taste of the experience, they go there and they just get this little quick little fake diluted, not serious mm-hmm. about the craft kind of like situation. You know, it's like they're not yeah. really sincere. Like they're just yeah. they're, they're, their core is not pure in a sense. Right. It, it almost makes me think of um, how people like to take take advantage and start monetizing things. Yeah. Right? Like, let me, <laughs> let me just take that and let me just monetize it to make people feel good about themselves because they know that that's what people are looking for. Because this, this even makes me think of when we were first looking for a nonprofit to volunteer, what we realized is because the other parts of the world know that Western society, we want to feel good and help them. They end up taking advantage of that. So there are like orphanages overseas that are not really orphanages. It is people over there kidnapping little kids, putting them in this place, and then telling you that it is an orphanage. So you come, you donate money, you do all this stuff. And then behind the scenes, they're abusing the kids and, you know, like they've separated the kids from their families. And so I I know they're they're not the exact same thing as these little places, but it's all about like, how can I monetize based on other people's emotions because they want to feel good about themselves. So I'm going to take advantage of them by doing this thing, faking, faking them out and making money off of that. And not even that. That's what it reminds me of. No, no, no. It, it, I, I agree. It, it's definitely mm-hmm. that. But it also feels like to me, there was just some people who took a couple of classes. They didn't know what they wanted to do in life mm-hmm. as far as careers. They didn't like their job. And they just mm-hmm. said, hey, look, you know, this seems like a, a good ride. I can go around and ride. I, can, I think I want to help people. So let me go around and start helping people and telling them, this stuff that I read from this book. I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we care about people, not transactions. So we concentrate on creating personalized solutions to start or grow a business that provides for your family, to purchase a home that will house the memories you make there, to save so you can enjoy today and then pass on your legacy to future generations. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk. Visit sandyspringbank.com real. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank. I went to a couple classes, and now I'm going to be this teacher because I don't like mm-hmm. my job. And it's like those – and there's nothing about – there's nothing wrong about not liking your job and in wanting to help other people. That's what I'm not saying. But when you have the motives to go into this situation where you don't feel you're spiritually there yet yourself, to be mm-hmm. able to, to radiate that towards other people – and you're just kind of just using the system because you realize it's a hack to pr- make profit because you don't like your mm-hmm. job. That's when it gets it's 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 not you know the cool place because you're not really helping people at that form. You're not being transparent. You got to really want to help people, and people can tell a fake. Real people can tell a fake. You can feel the energy. Um, mm-hmm. You know the bad actors again here. You got a lot of bad actors, so they'll play along. You know everybody's playing. You know everybody's playing tech. Everybody's playing the smartest person in the room. So. That's a different thing. But other than that, I think like you need to really, you know, have somebody who's just really sincere about this is what I really want to do. Like you coming back with this deep thing where it's like you always wanted to help people. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's a sincere thing. And, you know, not everybody has that internally. Sometimes their, their motives may be to, I want to take advantage of people because I don't, I haven't figured out what I want to do. But you have mm-hmm. at least peace, you know, in your life. You're going on a direction to where you are happy and you kind of figured out the things that you kind of want in life. And that's a better place to be than just to be in a place where you're still kind of like, I don't know what my boyfriend is doing or I'm still dating around. I'm still doing this and my mm-hmm. life's kind of chaos. I don't know about my money, my finances. Like you're not, there's no harmony there. Like you have to be able to be relaxed with yourself no matter what situation you're in before you can start helping people. And I feel like those mm-hmm. are some of the people that I've met who have joined onto this, you know, self-help type of movement. Um, not all of them, but there's been a lot of them that have figured out it's a hack to, you know, make profit. And so they dilute the actual purity or the quality within your environment. Mm-hmm. I, I think so to that point, I think there's a balance. One is um, your intention, right? Like you have to have the right intention. What is it that you really want? Because even some people who say, I want to help other people, it is also, I want to help other people so that I can feel good. Ooh. Right. Which So is that, you know, what is your real motive and what is your intention? And even with coaching, one of the things that we practice a lot is you go into coaching not to feel, your goal is not at the end of the session, did I do a good job? How did I show you, right? Like it's because some coaches, they like want to push their clients to, um, I don't know, have epiphanies and aha moments and all that stuff because they want to feel good about themselves as a coach. Versus am I just being the presence and bringing the best of myself to this for the sake of that person? Not for me, not for me to feel good, but for that, right? Like, so it really is about intention. And even when you say, I want to help other people, like, but why? Um, So that's one thing. The other thing is we are all perfectly imperfect people. And so a lot of times, like my clients think that I have it all together. They're like, you have all, you're you're amazing. You're, You're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, trust me, I also have my own coach. I don't see what I don't see. I have my own blind spots. I'm a human being and I'm going to fail and I'm going to F up all the time. Right. I'm going to have all these, like, I'm going to be stressed, having, you know, anxiety. I'm a normal human being. I'm not any better than anybody else. So I'm going to fuck up. And it's just realizing that, right. Like, but it doesn't mean that I can't help other people. Um, it just means, do I recognize that I'm also not perfect and that I, I also need to seek whatever help that I need and the support that I need to help me on my own journey? Because I, 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 I can't see the shit that I, I don't see. I have my blind spots. And so it's being able to recognize that. No, I totally agree with you. Totally. I'm, you know, and mm-hmm. I would never think that you know, somebody has to be completely perfect, right? Because it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. But I yeah. think like there has to be some like, like what you mentioned, purity of the cause, you know, mm-hmm. what's your reasoning really behind doing this? Is it because like, you don't really like your fucking job and you just say, Hey, I don't really like my yeah. job anymore. What can I hack out of? Oh, I can just start my own business and self help. And okay. And make people breathe and do breath work. Okay, cool. Let me just mm-hmm. do this. You know, I like helping people and people convincing themselves of things because it's convenience and you know, yeah. that's when it goes wrong. And then also you mentioned too, as well about how you, um, how you kind of looked you know, inward and you kind of had self-awareness, you realize that you had, you know, you had your ups and downs and you're always working mm-hmm. on that. And sometimes there's things that you can't detect. So you have somebody else that you work with to actually do that. Um, but, you know, there's the other ones who are, you know, copy and pasting every time somebody makes a testimony on their Instagram and just posting yeah. it, which is not bad. You need to market, but it's just like, 
it, 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 I don't know, when it comes not sincere from the heart, you can just kind of feel mm-hmm. it. And the teaching comes back the same way. But that doesn't mean yeah. you won't have customers because I've seen people make a living off of it who are just not sincere. I'm like, man, there's, this is not real. This is synthetic. You know, yeah. it's just like, but you need to be real. You need to be really caring about what you're doing and loving it. Um, and I think like you got to be a loving person too and an open and forgiving person. You can't be like, oh, I need to get a client. Oh, this person's wasting my time. Like, you know, yeah. I've literally had people like, oh, yeah, come to my breathwork class. And then it's like, yeah, I really wasn't getting it. And then as soon as, you know, they delete you off of their Instagram and block you and stuff, you're like, what is that? I just didn't get it. Like, mm-hmm. I, thought we were, I thought you were self-help. So this is not, this yeah. is it's not real. You're not real. You're not authentic. This is fake. Yeah. And I knew you were fake and I could feel it, but you were fake. Not you, but this person was fake. There's, there's, there's an energy about it. Yeah. You know, and, and I pick up on energy. Mm-hmm. And people are not stupid. You know, like people can sense it. And I think that's also why, um, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of coaches who have been coaches for a long time have asked me like how, 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 and why is your practice so successful in such a short amount of time? And I'm like, cause I am who I am and I am authentic to who I am. And I am out there because I genuinely care. Like I quit Google, right? Like if I wanted to go back, if money was my intention, I could go back to Google but that is not like I, this is my passion and this is what I'm out here to do. And like, you know, um, I actually like my mission is to empower Asian American women to be seen, be heard and to rock the fucking boat because the boat needs to be rocked. Right. That is my mission in life. And you might be able to hear like the passion in my voice when I say it. And so I tell a lot of people at the end of the day, be authentic and do it because you want to, and it's out of your heart and not because of money. Like I don't look at clients as, oh, this person is a few thousand dollars for me, right? It's, I want to help this person. And there's a difference there. No, there totally is. And I think yeah. what I'm talking about is more of the people who are just, you know, bullshitting their way out. They're just bullshitting. They find it as a mm-hmm. hack to survive because they didn't like their good job. And they use that as like this, this, this anchor to say, oh, I, I quit my my six-figure job because I was just tired of working in the corporate world and I realized Mm -hmm. there was something horribly wrong with the culture and the people. And so that's when I realized I need to start doing breath work and self-help and save the world. And it's like, are you serious? Like, how was that your first epiphany? Like, obviously, you know, like you're obviously damaged once you first freaking did that yourself because you're like, holy shit, I'm tired of this world. This is wrong. I'm doing Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. I'm trying to heal myself first and I'm not where I need to be right now where I need to be. And I may not ever be there, but I need to focus on some, some first, some major priorities within myself, right? Before I just yep. start jumping in and blanketing other people because then you just get this synthetic thing and now you're, and you turn it to automatically to a business and now you're depending on it, right? Yep. And then when you're depending yeah. on it and you only have like 30 customers and they're not paying that much and you still got to depend on it for your lively, I mean, it's going to be, it gets to a point where it's hard to kind of not be a little bit biased. Hey, are you paying or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you become very desperate and yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, then it kills the, the cause. One- Correct. And the, the one thing for anybody who's out there looking for self-help, whether it is from a breathwork coach or one of those like Reiki energy workers or a life coach or, you know, whatever it is, is to actually have a conversation with that person and ask them, why are you doing what you're doing and how did you get into it? Right. And you got to really believe that story because there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who sat down and practiced this, you know, um, this Karen movement, you know, like, ah, you know, I fell and 
this happened to me and this is they practiced it out and they thought it really well but I, I feel like there's and there's and I feel there's also a lot of people who can't tell there are some people that can't tell there's also a lot of people who can't mm-hmm. because even they're faking it because they want to yeah they just want to belong to I go to mm-hmm. you know I go to this spiritual thing I go to this breath work we do this thing it's amazing mm-hmm. oh yeah you go to two yeah I go to one too so they want to be along with the sheep yeah. so they just do it because it's cool and there's nothing wrong with that you know mm-hmm. do what you do it's your own life but it's just like for somebody who's really interested in doing something like that, you know, I would prefer to have people that are genuine around me if I'm going yeah. to do so. Um, I'm just a genuine person when it comes to that. And it's like finding the real people who are serious about it, I think that matters. And I can tell you're serious yeah. about what you're doing. You know, um, I can vibe it off. How do you know? What if I've practiced? Nah, you're not that good at practicing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I can smell shit from around the corner. <laughs> I've got dog nose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good that you're out here, you know, um, helping people. And you said also, particularly, you also mentioned this too, you particularly also want to, you know, empower Asian women specifically. Mm-hmm. Why Asian mm-hmm. women specifically do you feel like needs more empowerment? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love how you do that. Um, honestly, I chickened out on doing that before. Like, so I'm very much into body work and also like, uh, listening to your intuition and your, your, your heart. And a few years ago when I was deciding who I wanted to work with, there was a part of me that said like Asian American woman because of my own experience. And also like, I mean, you look around right now and there's all this Asian hate, you know, um, a lot of people think that racism is this new thing with Asian Americans. And I'm like, no, it actually isn't like, look at Japanese internment camps, look at Chinese exclusion act, right? Like it has been around forever, but we've always been the invisible ones. Right. But part of it is we were taught to be invisible. Like my, I I grew up in a household where it's like, keep your head down low, just work hard, don't rock the boat and everything will be okay. But it's like, look at us now. It's not okay. Right. Um, And so there, there's always been this fire in me, but a year, a year, a few years ago, when I was thinking about who I wanted to work with, I chickened out because I'm like, well, then I'm narrowing it. And the thing with with Asians is, you know, there's a lot of things that hold them back from even wanting to get a coach. One is, it's not okay to be vulnerable and to share share stuff, right? We don't want to invest in ourselves. We think that we're smart enough to figure it out. That's what we're taught. Use your brain to figure it out. Why Why would you hire somebody? Um, and then, and then just even recognizing that there's more than achieving something like people will, a lot of Asian Americans will hire coaches to move up the career ladder, Yeah, but not, but not to be happy, right? Like not to like for, for, for not for fulfillment. It's like, how do I become a senior leader or how do I, right? Um, so there were all these challenges. So I honestly, I was chicken shit. And a few years ago, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go more broad with and work with women. And with everything that happened in the U S this past year, um, you know, the fact that I'm pregnant and I'm bringing a child into this world and my husband is white, you know, families from Wisconsin, Wisconsin doesn't get any, <laughs> doesn't get any nearlier than that. <laughs> it, it, first time his dad met me, he was like, Oh, Korean women are really great at golf. And my husband had to be like, she's not Korean and she doesn't play golf. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and, uh, and, and I still remember like I met a bunch of my husband's friends at a Super Bowl party and they're like, Oh, do you like Jet Li? I'm like, why is that relevant? You know, but it's, 
And so this is like the world my husband comes into. And with everything that happened in the past year, um, he and I both realized how little he understands about racism, Asian history, all that stuff. He's trying really hard. But now with a kid coming into the world, it's almost like my passion has grown even more because guess what? My kid is likely going to look not fully white, right? They're going to have to go through some of this. And I want my child to grow up in a world where they are seen, they are heard, and they know how to use their voice. And they're not taught to like, you know, just keep your head down low. And so like, I guess the fire literally is in my belly <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to do this. And so uh, you know, like I've gone all out and I've gone and said, you know what, this is where my focus is. It is kind of scary because I'm like, you know, I've narrowed it in to this really hard group of people, but it feels right. Yeah. I think that that's interesting. You said a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of historical cultural things that have, you know, there's a lot of wounds there, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of, there's a lot of, uh, trauma and mm-hmm. I think it's a generic thing that hits most minorities just in variant ways um Mm -hmm. i think you know i think it's like you know a lot of people you know depends on how you grow up culturally may push you towards you know education climbing up the ladder this this is a to me i feel almost as a and and some people may disagree but i feel it's almost an easier way to go through life without having to like focus on the emotional part because that's hard Mm -hmm. to deal with emotional trauma it's just hard yes like yep. Dealing with emotions and, and love and caring and who you're going to do this with. That's the hard. Like, yeah. God, you can't control that shit, but you can control. It's easier to control your success. It's easier to control yep. your career. But love, emotion, kids. What do they want to do when they mm-hmm. grow up? Their decisions. Feelings. Ooh, people hating the- you because you don't look like them. Different phenotype. Oh, man. Colonialism. Mm-hmm. All this stuff. Ooh. It's just bad news. It's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not a good thing. You, you're taught not to have feelings. For the longest time, I I would never cry. I had armor on. You would never see me talking about any of this stuff, right? Like feelings for me, I was taught it was bad. Feelings yeah. are bad. Yeah, and you and you, and you you notice that more, Amy, in Silicon Valley. It's really and and you can you can tell that more people haven't been around that much diversity in culture because they mm-hmm. haven't really let that go. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're building products, this is why you need more diversity from numerous of groups within the United States because it's like you need to build that diversity. You need to build that humility and that harmony inside of these products. So it needs to be a group of people all working together so they can figure these things out. But when you don't have that, you just have, you have people that are just putting shit together and they're not thinking about the emotional reaction to them as much because they're not that connected with their yeah. own emotions. Because you're ta- if you're yeah. taught that in your family, hey, hide those emotions. You know, when I was a kid, my mom said, you know, my father's feeling. Oh, your father's dead. You know, just you're the man yeah, now. That's it. Shut. So like, I was like, fuck, dude, shut. Okay, no emotions. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh man, what? Oh, no tears. You know, like that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So it's just like. The only thing I felt like I could never control was career. So the latter, you know, helping people, doing things like that, things that I could hold and control that were tangible to me. But when yep. it comes to like emotions, relationships, those shits are hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to do that, you know, and especially if you have a soft heart. It is, it is hard and it is the most liberating thing when you can. And, you know, like my husband is a coach and he specifically works with men on tapping into their emotional 
self and processing emotions because men are taught what, like, what does it mean to be a man, right? Like you don't have emotions. And so, you know, you, you don't show emotions, you don't love, you're not affectionate, you know, like, and so a lot of men actually don't know how to tap into their emotions, how to process their emotions, how to show love, how to any of that stuff. And they keep it in their bodies. And I think it's, um, the, the highest rate of suicide or depression is among men. I think it's like around 45, 50. And it is because all their life they focused on, I'm going to succeed at things. And that's how they've distracted themselves from these emotions, right? Once you hit 45, 50, that's like, you're about to retire. You might be at the top of your, the ladder and it's like, okay, what's next? And so there's a lot of this, like, well, shit, (laughs) you know, I don't know what's next. And I still have 30, 40 years of my life and I don't even know how to process this emotion. So there's a lot of suicide and a lot of depression. And so his, his mission in life is like, how do you help men to, to redefine what it means to be a man and to tap into their emotion in a healthy way so that they don't get to this point where they're, they're like, Oh, well, what's next? No, I totally agree. And I think most people don't have that. And for me, I'm always mm-hmm. like a, I'm always like a robot, you know, who's built to reexamine himself every freaking second. So like, I'm always <laughs> looking inside, okay, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? 24, seven, 24, seven a day. I mean, 24, seven, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like that. Like, what's wrong with you today? Like, what, do you, what can we fix? Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with you. What's going on? What's this? Okay, we got to fix it. What happened today? I'm always reviewing this, planning out what my day looks like, what my week looks like, what my month, month looks like, and et cetera. And I think, like, self-awareness is a big thing. And then also figuring out how you can kind of solve these problems or if you feel like you're stuck, being able to reach out and discover how you can. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are just, like, they're stuck inside where they feel like they, they don't have that window to really dig inside and, and figure that figure it out themselves. And it, it's yeah. tricky. And I think that happens culturally too as well. And I also say there is, you know, there is a big, you know, to tag on what you said earlier, there, there, there's a big like issue with, you know, I, I wouldn't say just Asian hate, right? I think Asian hate right now is just a new, a newer heightened trendy thing. It's always been there, right? All minorities yep. have, some type of hate because you know that's a part of colonialism you know it's all about mm-hmm. who's the dominant power and then how does the structure look down and up right and so what's cool and mm-hmm. what's not at what pivotal point but i think like in general there's you know everybody who's you know in a minority field or of some sense is kind of has has some hate it just switches right when 9 11 mm-hmm. happened everybody jumped on the 9 11 band said oh yeah we don't yep. like Middle Easterns are going to say this, holla, this, mm-hmm. and people are saying ridiculous, and everybody, and other minorities felt great about it. Like, oh, yeah, they're not talking about me now, so fuck. <laughs> it's not my turn, dude. <laughs> yeah. Let me hide down here. Yeah, it's not my time. Fuck, they don't get me at the fucking, you know, at, at the airport, so I'm good, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it, it just switches, you know? And then when it's like, you know, you get the Trayvon Martin type of situations that kick in, then everybody's like, oh, yeah, and then you have these the Black Lives Matter groups, and then everybody's like, oh, yeah, man, look at them, man. They're just, like, riding, and mm-hmm. they just don't da-da-da. And so it's like, as long as it's not me, let's just talk about it. So everybody, even the minorities, will jump right in and, and just start throwing mm-hmm. stones because, and not all, of course, but this is what happens typically. It's like pick a minority year. that happens every once in a while. You, you just has it. Every time something happens, if, if one yep. minority group – Something happens within that group, then it's all the minorities. Doesn't matter. It, mm-hmm. it, it happens like that consistently. 
one person bombs something, all the Middle Easterns are bad. So now everybody has to talk stuff about Middle Easterns and make jokes, you know, yeah. and, and, and the planes and there's all kinds of discriminations that kicks around it. And, you know, you mentioned the Asian Exclusion Act, you know, these are big things, you know, banning Asian yeah. Americans to, you know, or Asians in general from coming into the Americas. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that, you know, even Middle Easterns were, you know, codified as Asians in the United States. But they went to Supreme mm-hmm. Court to fight and say, no, we're not, uh, and not all Middle Easterns, but just a group of them who wanted to come yeah. into the country said, we're not Asian. Look, mm-hmm. we're closer to Europeans. Look at our history. And so this is why you go and you see, like, when you do a, um, you know, uh, you know, what's your quote unquote race, right? Your social construct. It says, ah, Middle Eastern, European, white, Caucasian. What? What mm-hmm. is going on here? But this is why you see this in the United States, you know, because of the same type of things. People are arguing and fighting to see how they could fit into the structure. And it was going on and on with immigration. And this is what is the, the output of this, you know, type of situation mm-hmm. is the immigration and the, the, the ignorance, the racism, things like that. And even your husband, you mentioned also, you know, you went back, you said, oh, my husband, you know, he, um, you know, he, when he went to one of his friends and they said, oh, you know, do you know Jet Li and things like that? And you'd be like, what? What are they talking about? I would say outside, outside of Silicon Valley and people that typically go to Asian countries and deal with Asian people typically are ignorant to the fact of the difference or variances of a Korean oh, yeah. versus a Filipino. There's like, man, dude, you go out, even, even in Maryland, I'm going to bring Maryland out. There's people, <laughs> I, I had, I had one of my, one of my buddies, um, one of my buddies, nice Jewish kid, one of my friends I just started with, he was just like, yeah, man, you know, I grew up, you know, I always thought all Asians were exactly the same. I always thought they were all from China. I'm like, what? Yeah. This is what he thought. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of unawareness. You know, like um, when I was heading to Africa, someone actually told me, it's amazing that you picked Africa. I would have picked a prettier country. Yeah. And I'm like, um, first of all, Africa's a continent. There are lots of countries in it, right? Like, and it's also really pretty. And it just goes to show like someone who is that educated would think of Africa as a country, you know? And and so that comes to mind. And then the other thing is, you know, with all of this, the minorities and the, the races and everything, like part of the issue is we see, we box ourselves into these delineations and definitions. And we look at ourselves as how are we different rather than, how are we the same? How are we the same? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's part of like the be- the way that I like to think about diversity is not just like how are we different, but how are we the same? Because when we look at ourselves as different, that pits us against each other. And that's actually why I love traveling and why I love hearing people's stories. Because when you hear people's stories, you realize how similar we all are. At the end of the day, all people want to be loved, want to be included, want to belong like it's very basic the things that we all want and need and it's almost like you know by looking at how different we are and how separate we are we're pit- pitting ourselves against each other versus seeing that like we're all very similar i agree with a hundred percent i think there's no scientist that could disagree with you in the world um we yeah. all know that it's a social construct this stuff is just social right if you grow up in certain areas you can pick up the same attributes you know and things like that but i think the thing is is you know, the biggest issue is the idea of race. 
Mm-hmm. Once you create teams, you start creating division. And yep. so when people start immediately like going for these these tag phrases, like, you know, helping the black community or helping this community and this da-da-da. And it's just like, you know, these community, I get it. But it's like, this is a human issue, right? Mm-hmm. Racism is a human issue, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, to think that you have to fit into what a group that you might codify with in whatever country you're in means that you have to represent that and help that. It's That kind of just keeps on propelling the issues. It's like people need to interact with more people who are different mm-hmm. from them. This is how they learn, you know? Yep. Endurance, you know, they in, in being around other people who think different. This is how we grow. Yep. If you just hang around the same people and help the same people, then it kills the influence. The same thing with, like, Asian hate. A lot of this stuff is happening because of ignorance. Let's just yep. be honest. This is not because of you know, real hate mostly is just because of ignorance. This is just people just don't know what's going on. You know, and there's also other little social political issues that are going on and things like that. But it's like, who just wants to go around and just like attack random people? Like who just thinks about mm-hmm. this? Like mm-hmm. you, you can't have a, a, a proper, nothing to live for or think about. But there's something I always sit there and say, you know, and I learned this a long time ago when I was in high school fighting this one kid who just came and harassed me in my neighborhood. And, you know, uh, he bit me. You know, he he attacked me and he, he bit me. And I was like, whoa, I thought this was like a big, tough guy. And he attacked me, following my neighborhood, harassed me and made me fight him. And I was just trying to walk home with my friends and just go hang out and just like we did normally. But he just had some grudge because his girlfriend looked at me or something. It was weird. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, he was just like he bit me. And I was like, hey, dude, did you just bite me? He said, yeah, man, there ain't no rules in fighting. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that opened my brain so much. And then I realized Mm -hmm. out of that, through my little self-awareness trying to fix myself, I realized that, you know what? You don't ever want to get into a fight with someone who has something to lose. Right? And you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have something, if you have nothing, this person has nothing to lose and you have something to lose, you're going to always lose because you particularly have something to lose. This person doesn't. They'll do whatever to win, they have nothing to lose. Yep. It's a bad fight to be in. No rules. You know, it's like the British coming to fight the Americans once they learn how to fight from the Native Americans. There was this mm-hmm. formation, shoot, pow, go back, you know, and then the Native Americans said, hey, you know, you guys want to beat the British? Here, this is how you beat them. Just fight like us. We don't have those rules. We'll just start shooting them. Mm-hmm. And they, we won because of that. Rules. There's no rules yeah. in fighting. So when you're fighting somebody who has no rules, you got to understand that it, it, it's, it could be really deadly and dangerous because if you live by a rule code and you think about, you know, you think about these, 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 these upstanding rules in my life and things like that, and this person's thinking on survival mode, they don't care. They have mm-hmm. nothing to live for. They might not have any money. They don't have a great job. They don't have a five-year plan, no 401K. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing with rules, they were made by humans. Yeah. I mean. Right. We made rules. They were meant to be broken. And we would not progress if we didn't learn to break rules. If we constantly followed the same rules, we would constantly be the same. Agreed. But also at the same fact is, you know, part of those rules is, you know, race or the idea of race is only four to 500 years old. Before that, we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So it's like. This stuff is all made up, and people are taught this on purpose. It's all a colonialistic trick to keep people in these little 
camps and divisions and fighting mm-hmm. each other instead of thinking as Americans. It goes back to what you were saying, programming. Yeah. But the programming we've been programmed. Be, but the programming can be used to, you know, divide and conquer and to keep control. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't learn how to read, you're not gonna want to do things. You're not gonna think of your five year plan. If I do that to you for like a hundred couple hundred years, eventually most of the people that look like you probably aren't gonna make it that far. Yep. It's like they're gonna teach their kids kids, oh don't read. And then what happens from that? Mm-hmm. What happens when you don't put education first? Poverty. Yeah. And then guess what happens? When you don't have, what are you going to do? You're going to take. <laughs> it's just what is going to happen. And then there's violence and there's bad issues and areas, and it all just wreaks bad recipe for disaster. And this mm-hmm. is what happens when you start doing things like this. And so things, these things are very strategic, and people just really sat around and just thought about these evil things and how to manipulate people and how to do this to people and how to cause issues like this. Drugs didn't fly over here through jets you know, from, you know, poor people in the communities, Mm -hmm. someone with a lot of money had to allow it to come here, you know? So these things just keep on consistently happening, but nevertheless, I think (laughs) it is awesome that you're doing your part. You're doing your part. I loved loved how we got to that. We went a little bit deeper, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all connected though. It's all like Mm -hmm. behavioral and historical things that cause the same similar issues yeah. and we're yeah. all just like fighting them day to day when we're all should just be one we need to help each other we need to love each other we need to support each other but we always got to mm-hmm. realize not everybody wants to play fair they weren't taught those rules mm-hmm. it's just that simple but i try to give love to everyone <laughs> <laughs> so i do believe you know- in karma so if you give love you get love but if you weren't but, it'll come but, back but if you were raised to not know what love is, and if you were raised in a survival mentality, you don't know those things, you yeah. know? And it was hard for me to figure that out when I went to very poor neighborhoods in the United States. And I stayed there for like a month or two. I tried to talk reason into people. People didn't fucking understand what I was saying on the average. Some people mm-hmm. got it, but then it, they went back to what they had to do because it was survival mode. It wasn't that they do, wanted to do these things. They just didn't have this opportunity to think like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm living in my little Lily neighborhood, you know, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, oh, yeah, of course you're saying all this shit. But like, dude, you don't have to live here. You know, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't ever want to live here. <laughs> no disrespect. I would never. I, you know, I think I think the goodness of the God, you know, that my mom even gave me the opportunity to go and live in those environments because I realized like, holy shit, if you mm-hmm. you don't have the option, you could be like this. And if you don't have the people around you, you could be like this. I'm so lucky. And it's so scary. Did she, she make you go there to experience that? Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> everything didn't make any sense in reason. Like everything people weren't thinking in reason. Like people were really smart and intelligent. Yeah. But they were using them for all the wrong ways. And it was just like chaotic situations. And I was like, why would you do that? doesn't make sense. People would just do it because it was just like the environment. It wasn't how they were thinking rationally. It was just the environment of survival mode. Mm-hmm. Just like when you hang around people that lived in my little upper class, middle, uh, middle, uh, middle class neighborhood where they, we did things. We sat around. We thought. We thought about what we would do mm-hmm. for the future. We thought about changing the world. Ooh. What the fuck? It's <laughs> a luxury. I, I think that 
every, especially in the U.S. right now with all the kids and things, like they need to be sent into these places or like, you know, like my husband and I always say, we're going to take our kid to Africa. We're going to volunteer with them to actually experience what it is like because so many people are living, so many kids are living in these bubbles but even, even, and to let them see what it's like. But even that is a privilege, right? Like the whole yeah. point to being able to travel to, like when I go to other countries and I'm like seeing people just like starving and they're just like s- little girls just standing there and not, not particularly Africa, Middle mm-hmm. East, Europe, you know, Mexico. I've seen just kids just, you know, just hungry and they're just standing out there hustling for money all day. I'm like, what the fuck? That sucks so bad. I just want to give them all money and help them. But it's not that that, that would help them. The situation of the structure needs to be changed. You know, it's it's, yeah. a, it's really deep. It's not just to give somebody money. They have to be self-sustainable. Oh, yeah, it is. And my child will, will go there and work and, like, experience it. They're not going to go there in first class. They're not going to go there and be, like, pampered. They're going to be working and, like, you know, my husband. And we've always talked about this, too. Like, we're not going to just hand things to our child. I want my child to know what it feel, what it is to actually like not be spoiled but because it, like I was just, I, I was over at my friend, my best friend's house the other day, huge house, swimming pool, like kids have all the toys. And her daughter said, mommy, why are we so poor? Wow. Like they have a swimming pool outside. They had all their friends over everything, you know, they play everything. And I'm just like, yeah, I do, do not want my child to be like that. My child needs to appreciate what they do have and experience other things. And your story about you being sent there, I'm like, oh, maybe we should do that. <laughs> maybe, I'm going to tell my husband tonight. Maybe you know, we should do that. I mean, some people, you know, some people think it's cool, though, if they go to certain environments, they gravitate towards it. And they just like, hey, this is what uh-huh. I want to live and I want to be like because they think it's cool, especially when you have the entertainment industry who's programming people to think that these are, are cool ways to do. So some people mm-hmm. might go in those environments and say, "Oh, this is cool. I'm used to it." But if you have, if you have a, if you're really self aware and you have critical thinking, and you're not used to those environments, you're just like, "Holy mm-hmm. shit!" Like you're trying to yeah. talk to people and you're like trying to talk to people the way that you've learned, which may be right in your mind, but because you've had time to be rational and think about things most of the mm-hmm. time. Not everybody is, but I felt I was. And you start talking and it's just like, "Dude, they don't get what the hell you're saying. Get out of here." You know, and it took yeah. some people to get older and, you know, mature to start realizing like, hey, look, this is what it was. Yeah. But, you know, when I was a kid, I was in this environment. I couldn't think that way. Or maybe they already mm-hmm. got in a system and now they're screwed. You know, they just needed to survive. So th- they're just going to take something from somebody who has. It's not yeah. personal. It's just like they might throw something else into it and say it's because of this. But really, it's just like you have something and I don't have something. And I'm tired of not having mm-hmm. anything. So I'm just going to take it from you. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Yeah. It's not personal. It's not personal. You look like you have money. Okay, pow. I'm going to take it from you. All right. I've yeah. learned it's not personal. I think some people think it's personal. They think it's against them particularly. And I'm like, nah. If you go in those environments, you realize it's not personal. It's mm-hmm. just like, hey, man, I'm Survival. hungry. Yeah. You look like you have money. Pow. Here you yep. go. I want money from you. How do you like it's, that? It's like why a saber-toothed tiger will come and attack you. They're hungry. 100%. And that's exactly, exactly 100% what it is. But – Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I learned. But I would say, you know, there is a there's a component where people say this trendy thing that you might hear, Amy, where they say, you know what? Imagine those people, you know, they don't know how good they have it. Go to other countries and see how good they have it here. And they'll understand. Well, guess what? They're broke as fuck. 
They're not going to go to other countries. <laughs> Your family's been brainwashed. You don't have, you don't see opportunity. You don't think it's possible yeah. for you. Everybody around you is telling you you can't do it because of the way you look mm-hmm. like or the, the area you grew around or your family's background. So you're not going to have that mentality. You know what I mean? You're just not going to think that. Versus where you have people who just come in from other countries who come to the United States and they realize the opportunity. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, America. Dude, you know where I was living at? Fuck that. Here, I can do all this kind of shit, you know? And you're just sitting in your ass. I'm going to do this, all this stuff. So much opportunity. They see it mm-hmm. another, it's another window. And this almost goes full circle to two things. One is the programming that we talked about. Like, how are you being programmed? And what are, what is what is um, the programming that's happening? And then the other thing is the whole mindset. 100%. But that ex- right. your exposure is- and culture and how you who you were raised around with does that tremendously. Yep. Just like we were talking yep. about earlier about the emotional things that you know certain cultures you know push within their communities to not feel mm-hmm. and to go up the ladder, go up the ladder, go up the ladder. Mm-hmm. But going up the ladder feels good and so, sometimes. And and so it is about breaking that cycle and breaking that mindset and like making those changes and making the shift. Is it easy? No. You know, um, is it sometimes, does it sometimes feel woo-woo-ish? Maybe, but it is like, am I living consciously or unconsciously? Am I living in this programmed way and thinking and believing all these things that I've been told and programmed for my entire life? Or do I actually want to break out of that and change something? Right. Totally. And you mentioned one thing too, about your husband, you were saying that you, you were trying to also bring him in to a unique situation where he started seeing and understanding racism because you kind of mentioned that he kind of didn't see it. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Or? Yes. Yeah. He's all, he's also very, so one, um, he's very rational in his way of thinking. So he, he's, he used to not be able to, and this is why he's so passionate about helping other people now tap into their emotions. He didn't comprehend emotions, right? So he was all in his rational mind right. of, but this doesn't make sense. Why would, you know, um, it, it why and and racism and and all those things it's emotional it's not a very rational thing and so he didn't comprehend that um and so it has been a journey with him and he continues to be on this journey what i love is that he's so open to it like he without me prompting him i told him about this pbs special about like asian american <laughs> history i think it's like a 4 hour series right, and he's like it. i i, I want to be you know, I want to be a better husband. I want to be able to understand this for you and for our future's child. So he sat down and watched four hours of PBS documentaries about Asian American history. And he's like, holy shit, I didn't know any of that. Because all he got was a small little paragraph about Japanese internment in his history book that was like thousands of pages. And that's all he knew. And so like, he's trying to better understand, better experience. Um, and, and he's on this journey for both myself and, and our future child. Yeah, but you know what? When you go to school in the United States, you know this, you're American, and the schools kind of condition you to be kind of racial in certain ways or to mm-hmm. put yourselves in the line, right? They'll start talking about, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in New England, you know, it was just like predominantly history was just like about the pilgrims and Native Americans, pilgrims, yeah. Native Americans, and how the pilgrims conquered the Native Americans and we had Thanksgiving, and it was just like over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the Southeast, it was slavery. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it was just like slavery, mm-hmm. slavery, every year slavery. I'm like, what is all slavery? Like, where did this happen at? But I noticed a, a change in the temperature of all the students when these things were being introduced. 
mm-hmm. you know, the people who felt they had some uh, attachment to slavery felt like, hey, this person looks like one of my friends, and maybe they mistreated me or, t- or treated some of my ancestors and, you know, screw them, and maybe I'm not as, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm not as, 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 as good as them now. So their emotions immediately change. I watch people's emotions change like that, and friendships break immediately after this class. They didn't like each other after this. Interesting. And it was all pointing at, oh, the, the, the W people and, oh, the, you know, the, the black, you know, we did this and we cracked the yeah. whip. And you're like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? And then there's these words start coming out and you're like, bro, what's going on? I just watched instantly people just snap in the program. So it's like, get out of this, get out of this, this poverty, get out of this oppression. But if you program every fucking generation, who was Christopher Columbus? Who discovered the new world? Who's the hero? Who's the hero? Yeah. Superman, Superman, Superman. Slave, slave, slave. No history before that. Slave, slave, slave. Mm-hmm. You don't want to learn about any of the history of Africa. You don't want to learn about the Egyptians and they were Africans. You don't want to learn about that. Yeah. You don't want to learn about Timbuktu. You don't want to teach about the Moors who came into Europe before most of Europe was actually modernized. We're not going to teach mm-hmm. that shit. We're going to teach slavery. Before that, there were some people in some jungles, and they were slavery. We're not going to yeah. teach that there were some kings and queens that were actually captured and forced into slavery. We're yeah. not going to teach any of those things. We're not going to teach about beautiful Native American tribes that were here flourishing and running things just fine. Mm-hmm. We're going to brush over the Aztecs and the Mayans. What do and, you th- and even think, even Thanksgiving is this, oh, Indians and... Pilgrims having a meal together. I'm like, I don't think that's actually what happened, you, but okay. How do you make that even Maybe. fucking like fun? Like, how does that like even a yeah. fun thing to teach a kid? Like, we don't need to hear. I don't know if we're mature enough emotionally to take mm-hmm. that in. Like, holy shit, their teachers like, hey, yeah, some Native Americans were here, and we just like fucking killed a lot of them, and then we just had a fucking. They taught us how to you know work on the land and grow food, or we were starving. So what we did yep. just decided to kill them. Thanks for giving. Mm-hmm. And we should celebrate this. <laughs> like, what the fudge is going on here? Kids are not taught the real history. But that screws up their brains. And then it also gives yeah. certain people in school and class who feel like they fit in with certain hierarchies an alternate ego. Mm-hmm. Who's the winner? Nobody. Because we're just repeating history. Nobody. Oh, and we're... ideally, it, you're right. But in, in, in the mindset... If you program that, hey, look, in history, people who look like me or this or that have typically been the winners, you're not going to mm-hmm. think about racism. You're not even going to see it, first of all, because it's not against you. It's just, that, it's just that simple. So it's hard to detect something that's not set up against you. It's just really hard. Mm-hmm. But people see it, even if they are you know, not the victim of it, per se. People see it. People know it because people progress it and push it to people. Especially if you're going like to certain areas around the United States, people will do it. I saw it through school. I saw it through people. You know, I had one of my best friends, you know, David. His father was an American guy, and his mother was an Asian woman who died. And like, there mm-hmm. was rude, rude ass kids in the neighborhood that would say some crazy stuff. And I'd be like, what the fuck is that, dude? He's like, oh, they always say that here. I'm like, what? You let them say that? No way. I never heard of no crazy stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, man, just leave it alone. What? Leave it alone? No, man. You don't. You don't leave that alone, dude. You can't just say that. Like people were just, but the, you know, some people were just like 
more passive. They didn't want mm-hmm. to deal with the confrontation of like the fight. I had one friend. He was also his mother was uh, Korean, um, and mm-hmm. his father um, was an uh, American guy or, or white guy, if you want to call it that, right? And he, you know, he always told me like he he let people just call him, you know, Asian and his name, and I was like, bro. Mm-hmm. Why do you let people say that, dude? Don't let people do that. Like, this is your name. Don't say that part. What does that have to do with you? Yeah, man, if you grow up in a town with a bunch of rednecks, is what he said, <laughs> you learn. <laughs> you learn just, how you need to you be. You just to learn survive. how to survive, dude. I'm not trying to get yeah. my ass kicked, you know? So I just let everybody say what they want to say. Nah, dude. You, you have to say something. I, maybe pick the time, but like, if you just keep on letting it go. Mm-hmm. People are just going to get away with it and think it's fine. But that's what happens when you don't have representation and diversity and people who give a crap about you. You can start, you know, and minorities can do it too. They can do it too, mm-hmm. you know, because they're programmed too to, to be the micro-oppressors. Yeah, they do it to, completely to each other because they're micro-oppressors. Mm-hmm. They've been programmed to micro-oppress each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're not bothering us. Let's go best with them now. this is a disease so this is the problem of of, i feel that you know you have to you know make sure your children are aware of is that everybody human beings all come from the same people but as we've grown and and we we, we've changed you know some of us change Mm -hmm. some of us represent certain things these are cultural things these are all physical i mean these are all cultural constructs these are not real but people will teach you this and we need to embrace everyone's history. You need to learn about Genghis Khan. You need to learn about Timbuktu. You need to learn about the Native Americans. You need to learn about Montezuma. You need to learn about the Cherokee tribes. You need to learn mm-hmm. about the Vikings. You need to learn about European history, Italy. You need to learn about these things. Hitler, yeah, he was a bad guy. We need to learn about him. The Jewish Holocaust. We need to learn about everybody. Armenian genocide. Learn about the people of the world. This is what it's- changes it, I feel. And I think at the core of all of that, it is learning how to learning about humanity and, you know, how do I be more human instead of trying to divide We're we're all humans at the end of the day. Exactly. 100%. And that's how we support each other is by being human first and not mm-hmm. what we've been programmed to be, as you mentioned in the beginning this programming. And when we start to erase mm-hmm. that programming and realize how, that we've been programmed, like you mentioned earlier, this is what separates us and allows us to be free. But yeah. when, we've, when we've lived our life by a, a program that you're this person, or you're that person, you're these ID or these, these physical attributes or these phenotypes, you begin to start acting like you're in these boxes. Yep. And you forget to love the other person, no matter what they look like. I don't care if they're White is the floor, or if they're dark as the ground, mm-hmm. or light, or whatever, it doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're humans, homo sapiens. We're one. That's it. Yeah. And that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the moral of the story is we are all humans. <laughs> yeah. Just act like it. Just act like it, people. Come on. Mm-hmm. Just act like we're all humans, because that's what we really are. Everything else is fake. We've been taught that, brainwashed. And yeah. could you tell us more about how people can get into your program, your beautiful program that you and your husband have you know, uh, generously create it? Yeah. So people can reach out to me, visit my website. It's amyyipcoaching.com. A-M as in Mary, Y-Y-I-P as in planet, coaching.com. Or email me, amy at amyyipcoaching.com. 
Awesome. Awesome. And that's how they can yeah. reach your husband too as well. Cause I know he's doing, you know, the, you know, helping out young men get past their, yeah. you know, their issues of not being he, able to, he's, yeah. he helps young men, old men, all, all ages of men. Um, and he runs men's circles and men's groups, which is amazing. His coaching, it, it's Greg Mueller. Okay. Greg Mueller coaching Mueller M as in Mary U E L L E R. So I think it's like a German, German, maybe, I don't know. Mueller, we, Mueller, we, Mueller sounds done. German. It could yeah. be German. Yeah. Yeah. It could be yeah. Cause German. we did the, um, DNA, we, we did the DNA testing. I am so boring. 99.99999% Chinese. Uh, <laughs> and he's a mutt of a lot of like the European, like all, all kinds. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that that that's always a trick. I think the DNA thing only it always it only goes up to a certain amount of generations. But if you've mm-hmm. lived in like a communities that haven't really left those communities as much through history, mm-hmm. you might find mm-hmm. that typically to happen. Um, yeah, which is it it's it's it is a difference. It's a rarity, but it does happen. It's not a rarity in certain regions. But yeah, Europe yeah. I think has definitely been a melting pot. You know, yeah, so Middle East for sure. So. And if you visit my website, I have a workbook called uh, Nine Remarkable Rules for Women. Or no, Nine Rules for, for Remarkable Women. And so it's a workbook. It's got worksheets on how to live your life remarkably and let go of this programming. Amazing. We got to get rid of the programming. Yeah. And you, you've got yeah. your book out. You've got your program set up. And you're changing the world. Mm-hmm. So I think the world is going to be seeing a lot more of you. Um, we definitely want to stay in touch. I appreciate you being a human and you and your husband and uh, bringing another beautiful human into this world, right? Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on and the I show. And I appreciate you being for so human today. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm passionate about my humans. I love my humans. Yeah, for sure. Humans. Mm-hmm. All right. But uh, <laughs> thank you for coming on. And just hang on for a second. Thank you we for having me. we got to make sure that this okay. uploads. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces TV. Let's go.